0: tell you a story today about a guy named Paul. We'll call him Paul because his name was Paul. Paul was a, a guy with really bad morals. He was a guy with a really bad mouth. He was a guy with really bad politics. And he didn't have the good sense to keep it to himself. He was always talking about it. If you saw him, you'd have to hear about his bad morals. You'd have to listen to his bad mouth. And you would also have to listen to his diatribe about politics, and it was kind of hard to put up with. And this continued throughout almost all of his life, until uh, toward the end of his life, he, he seemed to soften and things begin to change a little bit. I noticed it myself when I would go and visit with him. He had a humility about him that was different than before and an openness to talk about the things of the Lord without any caustic, smart-aleck comments. His politics still weren't very good, but he was open to talking about the Lord. And I thought that was kind of interesting. It wasn't a long time after that that we heard that he had died and we went to his funeral and the family was asked to sing. Family sang at the funeral, and Preacher Thomas got up to preach his funeral. Preacher Thomas had been the pastor in that area for like 40 years. He knew what he was talking about. Preacher Thomas got up and he said, Paul came to know the Lord as his Savior shortly before he died. Well, I we made our way up after the funeral up uh, on the hill to the cemetery to bury him, and on the way up there, I thought to myself, this guy did not deserve to go to heaven. He, was not, he didn't treat his wife right. He didn't uh, talk right. He didn't live right. He never went to church. He never made a contribution to the life of the church. Never was able to do any good deeds. There's no question that Paul did not deserve to go to heaven. And that's the thought that was in my mind as we went up on the hill that day and we walked over to the tent that was erected over the hole in the ground where they were going to lower his body. It was just in my mind, this little echoing thought in my mind, that guy did not deserve to go to heaven. And it's true, he didn't. And I'm probably you're thinking uncharitable thoughts about me right now, but you probably have thought that too, haven't you, about some people? Now that guy, that guy didn't deserve to go to heaven. Today, we're going to look at one of the stories of Jesus from Matthew chapter 20. It actually begins with, a, with the, the it's set up by the context in Matthew 19 and a little proverb that Jesus gives at the end of chapter 19. And he repeats the proverb at the end of the story. So we know they're kind of bracketed story. It's important that we understand that probably what Jesus has to say in the story has a lot to do with these two proverbs on either end and, this, and the context that goes before and the context that comes afterward. You remember last week we were talking about the, the famous story of the, of the guy we call the rich young ruler and remember that he wasn't converted he walked away and it was like a near miss with jesus the bible says in mark not in matthew but in mark it says that jesus looking at him loved him jesus loved this guy but he let him walk away and then after he walked away what happened peter asked a question hey we didn't walk away we're still here what will we have And Jesus says to him, you're gonna have a great reward. And he uses some beautiful language and he talks about the the regeneration. He's really pointing forward, like beyond the rapture, beyond the tribulation, beyond the second coming in power and great glory, beyond the tribulation, or beyond the thousand year reign of Christ to a time that we call the eternal state, the new heavens and the new earth. And he's pointing ultimately to the eternal state and he says, there's gonna be a great reward for you. So Jesus does not deny Peter's simple request. His his question is, will there be a reward? And he says, yes, there will be a reward. But then he uses the word but. And then he gives this little phrase, many who are first will be last, and the last first. And a proverb like that is... Created to stimulate your thinking. It must have stimulated the thinking of the disciples. They probably thought, "So, what did he mean by that?" I'm going to say it again after he tells a story. Now, the story that Jesus tells is a treasure of the church. If you love Jesus, you cherish, you cherish his stories. I'm walking yesterday morning around the pond. It, was it not a glorious autumn morning yesterday? How could you not worship yesterday morning when I was walking and just thinking about this story? And it just moved my heart. It made my heart quicken to think of the stories that Jesus gave. They're a treasure to me. The stories of Jesus are a treasure to us. We love Him. We cherish His words. We love His stories. For centuries, God's people have repeated the stories of Jesus. And we've turned them like a jewel in our hand to look at all the different uh, nuances of meaning in those stories. This is one of those treasures of a story. I want to read it, then I want to tell it, then I want to talk about it. Let's take a look in our Bibles. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 1, this is a story that Jesus told only, it's only recorded here in Matthew. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. Jesus, by the way, often started his stories in this part of the Bible by saying the kingdom of heaven is like... Now, the kingdom of heaven is its like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And when he went out about the third hour and he saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you so they went, and again he went out about the sixth hour, and the ninth hour and he did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out, and he found others standing idle, and he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one hired us. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. So an evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages beginning with the last to the first remember the proverb many who are first will be last and the last first when those who those came who were hired about the 11th hour they each received a denarius But when the first came, they supposed they would receive more. And they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner. In the original language, they just continually grumbled here. Saying, these last men have worked only one hour. And you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours. Go your way. I wish to give this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I'm good? And then he repeats, so the last will be first and the first last. It's interesting because then Jesus goes on to predict his death for the third time, adding more detail. He's going to be murdered and this time he tells them he's going to be tortured and he's going to be crucified. Immediately after this he says, I'm going to die. And immediately after that you have the record of them arguing about who's going to be the greatest after he's dead. And in the context of that, Jesus says something interesting in verse 27. He says it shouldn't be this way among you. Whoever desires to be the first among you, let him be your slave. Do you see the connection there? Whoever desires to be the first, let him be your slave. Let's, let's we just read the story. Let's tell the story again with some more detail and think about it so that it will have the impact on our souls that Jesus wants it to have for us. You know, we're an audience too. There was the original audience, jesus the people that Jesus told the story to, disciples being probably the primary audience. And then there was Matthew's audience, right? And Matthew wrote it, and how would this impact Matthew's audience? But then you got to remember that God... And this providence and the sovereignty over time knew that you and I would sit here this morning with our Bibles in our lap. And what does this mean to evangel Baptist church this morning? What is God doing here now with us? This is something we never want to miss. So Jesus says, this is what my kingdom is like. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. A landowner. It's a harvest story. If you were ever raised in, in a farming, in a rural in a farming community, or if you've ever been around a farming community, you know that harvest time is a, is a very intense time. Harvest time is a very significant time. There's sort of a excitement. There's sort of an intensity. There's a quicker pace. Everyone is very serious. It's everyone's payday. This is a do or die, make it or break it time of the year. It's a very exciting time of the year. And the whole family joins together and they go out and they hire laborers, people that haven't worked with family through the years they hire extra laborers and there's this intensity the harvest must be brought in and the harvest in a vineyard they say required work through the heat of the day and intense labor and there was a short window of time when the harvest could come in and so the landowner he goes in six o'clock or before six o'clock a.m. and he hires day laborers kind of maybe like kind of migrant worker kind of guys standing around that don't usually get to work through the week but they get hired day by day and he hires them and he brings them but then he goes back as the scriptures say he's go he goes back and he hires more at nine o'clock according to verse three and then in verse five it says he hires more at at noon and then more at 3 p.m. and then it, in verse six it says he goes back in the eleventh hour now if the day's going to go from six to six this is the five o'clock hour this is an hour before quitting time he comes back to hire more people Imagine, if you will, allow your sanctified imagination to work right here. Because imagine, what are these guys still doing there? What have they been doing? Have they been there all day waiting to be hired? And they've been passed over while landowners decided how many labors that they would need. And now, here we're getting toward the end of the day. And these desperate men are still waiting to be hired. Are, do they have families at home that are waiting on word about whether there's going to be a meal tonight? The Old Testament law says you have to pay the laborer in the day that he works. That's because he's living day to day. His family's depending on their daily bread. And Jesus taught his disciples, pray for your daily bread. These desperate day workers, these indigent men, these migrant type workers, these poor guys were were hanging on and waiting and idle and the landowner says, why are you still here? It's not because we're not willing to work. We just haven't been hired. And so now you have men who have Who haven't been able to work the whole day? They only have one hour left to work, so they get hired and they only work for one hour. So far, so good. This story is a common story. There's nothing unusual in it, right? It's just it's just what you would expect. Jesus had this wonderful way of taking a story and putting a turn in it, a plot twist. And you always want to pay attention where the plot twist is in the story, because obviously that's where the point comes in, if you will. That's the heart of it. What's, what's different about the story? Remember the story, stories Jesus clustered together that are recorded in Luke 15? Remember those stories? You remember them, don't you? The lost things. It culminated in the lost son that returned and then the son that was outside waiting and he wouldn't join the party when the lost son returned. Remember how Jesus built those stories up and in between he always said, and so there is rejoicing among the angels of heaven over one sinner who comes to repentance. And that was the common thread that Jesus took through all of those stories. And everyone was rejoicing and everyone except the older brother. And the story ends on the older brother still standing out in the field not willing to rejoice because the younger brother came back and jesus leaves that just sitting there the tension of that on the chest of the pharisees who were not rejoicing when sinners came to repentance like they do up in heaven rejoice when sinners come to repentance now it's time to pay the workers and so the foreman then is instructed by the landowner to pay the workers but he does something weird he says i want I don't want you to pay the guys who got here first first. I want you to pay the guys who got here last first. The day uh, a denarius was a day's wage for a Roman soldier, it was a generous amount of money. So the workers that agreed to work all day for a denarius were being paid well and fairly. They would have been eager to go to work for that amount of money. And it would have been a shock, just a shock. Jesus' story is intended to shock. It's a direct response. As all Jesus' stories are, it's a direct response to the question that goes right before them or the circumstance. So Peter's saying, we've followed you and we've worked. And so what will we receive? And Jesus says, you will receive a great reward. But remember... The first will be last, and the last will be first. Let me tell you a little story. And now you have these guys coming, and they get paid what? What do they get paid for working one hour? They get paid an entire day's wage for a Roman soldier, a denarius. It's an amazingly generous gift that they're given. They are given a gift. They must have been delighted. They must have been shocked. They must have been euphoric. They're going to go home with a day's wage as they thought to themselves, I'm going to take this little pittance home as the sun goes down and try to explain this to my wife and to my kids. But no, now they're going to come home with a they with a generous day's wage. Are they happy? They are happy. There's just a buzz among those workers. But in the back of the line are guys who've been working all day. They say, through the heat of the day. And what happens to them? When they get paid, they start to grumble. They start to murmur when they see that The guy who worked an hour gets paid a full day's wage. They continually murmur. There's a murmur. There's a complaining among hardworking people in the back of the line. They're griping. They're bickering. They're mumbling. They're murmuring. They're complaining. Man, I'm glad we don't do that. Amen? I'm just glad we never do that. I mean, since we're the kind of people that know that God graced us, and He gifted us, and He forgave us, and we're the kind of people who never murmur. We never lose our grip on Thanksgiving. My dad taught me something neat. You know, he was a pastor. He is a pastor. And I remember when I was in high school, I pastored a little church in high school, and they paid me, which was pretty cool, $45 a week. I'm a part-time pastor, and they paid me $45 a week, 1976, 1977. Not bad, really. And I would uh, get my paycheck from Mr. Stump. And I would come back and we didn't have direct deposit back then. Uh, we had this old-fashioned thing some of you wouldn't know anything about. It was like a bank and then a line of cars on Friday, and you would, like, drive up to the bank on Friday, and you'd be in a long line of cars. And you'd have to wait in line, and there would be a teller up there, and there would be, like, two or three lines of cars, and you would wait. My dad said to me, Kenny, here's what I always do while I'm waiting in line. I look at my check that I got from the people in the church, and I just think about all those men and women that got up early in the morning and they went off to labor. I like to just think about how hard they worked. And then they love Jesus so much, he's been so kind to them, that when Sunday comes and they pass the offering plate, they write out a check out of that hard-earned money. They know that part of that money is going to go to you. And as an expression of their love for God, they give to the church, and part of that money goes to you. And so he says, I like have a little Thanksgiving time. I think about that. You know what's funny? If you get enough paychecks after a while, you sort of can easily forget that. Where that money came from and who's behind it and who's ultimately behind it. You know, if you were given a grant of forgiveness from God... After a while, you can figure you, you've you been in this a long time. You were one of the early people then. Why, you you earned a little of this. You deserve a little of this. I mean, after all, you've been a Christian a long time. And you've been faithful, working through the heat of the day. Certainly, the people who get in at the end aren't going to get the same thing as you get. Well, Jesus isn't denying the truth of rewards in heaven, but this story is to correct the wrong idea that heaven is a place that you get to go because you're rewarded. The place you get to go for what you deserve is called hell. The place that you get to go because of the gift, that place is called heaven, and in heaven there are rewards. And so this is how the story goes. Now here's the interesting thing. When I look at this story, I think to myself, you know, always interesting when you study one of those stories to look for these kinds of things, like what set up the story so you know what the story means, because you don't want to make the story mean stuff it doesn't mean. So what was the question or the circumstance or the tension that set up the story? And if you understand that, you understand the story. And where is the turn in the story? Because you're probably going to get to the heart of the story by you look at the, the little plot twist. But there's something else that I think is just really critical, is that is where do you see yourself in the story? So who are you in this story? When you read this story, who are you? This is interesting. Are you the landowner? No, probably not. Are you the foreman? Eh, Probably you didn't see yourself there. But this is critical. I wonder how many of you, when you heard a story, you see yourself as a person that got hired early in the day, and you've just been working through the heat of the day and being faithful. One of those good folks that's just been in it a long time and, you know, just serving. Because if you see yourself as that, you probably don't like this story much. If you see yourself like that, you think, this is a weird story. I don't get this story. This is just weird. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, if you see yourself in another category, you really like this story. If you see yourself as a poor, wretched, lost, guilty, shame-filled loser of a sinner, you're like, whoa, I like, I like this story. I like this story. This guy doesn't labor through the heat of the day. This guy hasn't earned a large amount, but he's given a gift. This is what Jesus is trying to say. To His disciples, I am now going to bequeath to you the Christian message. They're going to torture me, and I'm going to die, and you men are going to be responsible to go around the world and tell Jews and Gentiles alike, people that have been in a long time, people that haven't been in very long, that the message of the kingdom is the message of the gift that God has given of grace, and it's not something that you earn, but it's something that you're given as an exorbitant gift, as an amazing, extravagant gift. That's your job. You go tell people that. Go tell people how good God is. Go tell people how forgiving God is. Go tell people that the gospel is not a merit program. It's a mercy offer. Are you looking for the big idea? That's it right there. The kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom is not a merit program. The gospel of the kingdom is an offer of mercy to lost sinners. And so those who would be in the kingdom are those who receive the gift that God has given, and nobody deserves it. Nobody deserves it. And nobody's ever going to work long enough that they move from, I got this as a gift, but now I've earned it. I now deserve it. Nobody gets this is not going to be true for any of us, ever. It's not the way it is. This is what Romans 9 says. Romans nine fifteen and 16, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills or of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. So God says in this voice of this landowner, he says, Is it okay with you if I give people a gift because I want to give it to them? Now, I think he's speaking to the disciples in particular. I don't think he wants to pick on Peter, but I think it's Peter that kind of got him into this. And so it's kind of like Peter. Think about Peter. Remember Peter? Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, yes, you're going to be rewarded. Don't worry about that. I'm gonna empower you to do wonderful things and I'm gonna reward you forever for them. Yes. Don't worry about that, Peter. But don't forget that there are gonna be people coming along like new people. Johnny come lately. They're gonna get in on the same offer of forgiveness and, and you're gonna, and you're not gonna to wanna to be on a merit program, Peter. You're gonna to wanna to be on a mercy program because, you know, like later in your life you might still need some mercy from me. Peter. Peter, you, you might like it that you're not on the merit program after a while. You, you might like it that you're on the grace program, on the gift program, on the free forgiveness because of Jesus' mercy program, Peter. You you might want to keep that in mind. And then he says this powerful thing. He says, is, you, is your eye greedy because I'm generous? He's saying, I want to be generous. And he's implying, Are you guys going to be generous? Are you going to begrudge me generosity? Are you going to tell me I can't be good? I can't be generous? Whose is this to give away? Yours or mine? He's The implication Jesus is saying through the mouth of this landowner, it's okay with you, isn't it, if I just give generously. His disciples were being trained to be agents of the kingdom and messengers of the gospel, and they would be groomed to take the message of God's mercy to people who are guilty and full of deep regret and dark shame, and that's all of us if we have any spiritual sense. They're being groomed to take the message of God's mercy to people who are guilty in a world full of people with deep regret and dark shame, and that's all of us if we have any spiritual sins. So he's trying to teach them that the kingdom is not about merit, but it's about mercy, that the kingdom is not about competition, who's going to be greatest, but it's about compassion, offering compassion. And he immediately after this statement about serving, he heals two that are on the bottom rung of the societal ladder, two blind guys. The kingdom is not about selfishness, but it's about sacrifice. It's not about gifts. It's not about wages, but it's about gifts. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I have a friend, you know him, uh, he's preached here. His name is Tom Harmon. He's a great guy. He's He does ministry in seven-year increments, and this seven-year increment that he's in, are the seven years in which he's going to write a book a year. And he's on his fourth book, and I got it the other day. His fourth book is on spiritual warfare, a fine little book on spiritual warfare. And I'm happy in my soul. One of the things that makes me happy in my soul is just to be called Tom Harmon's friend. So Tom sends me a copy of this book, and he inscribes it in the front. And so it's kind of neat to read his personal inscription to me. That means a lot to me. Tom is greatly used of the Lord, especially here in our beloved state of Michigan. God just uses this man. But when he signs his name, he always signs his name like this. Just a field hand. Just a field hand. I like that. Just a day laborer for Jesus. Just a field hand. What does he mean? Doesn't mean that he has a deflated sense of his own usefulness to the Lord. He, he just realizes that he is an undeserving saved sinner, a field hand. Go <laughs> oh, back to Paul. We go to Barry Paul, and um, up on the hill, and I have these conflicting thoughts in my mind, and we, preacher Thomas preaches and reads the scriptures and they kick the dirt in on top of the casket and we get in our cars and we drive away and I get reminded again by the Holy Spirit, Ken, were you under the impression that you deserve to go to heaven because of something you did? Nobody goes to heaven because of something they did. None of us are going to work our way to heaven. If anyone gets to be with the Lord, it will be because it's a gift that God has given through His Son, Jesus Christ, that we receive. We don't deserve heaven and forgiveness. It's grace. You, you guys remember the song? Go forward. That Remember this song? Your grace still amazes me. Your love is still a mystery. Each day I fall on my knees. Your grace still amazes me. Is that still true with you? You still have those moments when you're in the line at the bank and saying, Jesus, you're so good to me that you you forgave me. You haven't forgotten that, have you? Wouldn't it be fun to sing this together? Why don't you just remain seated and sing it with me. To the Lord, you're great. And if it's not true, ask Him to make it true right now that you would just be thrilled and amazed and grateful that Jesus gifted you with eternal life.
1: Your grace still amazes me. Your love is still a mystery. Each day I fall on my knees. Your grace still amazes me. Let's hear it. Your love is still a mystery. Each day I fall on my knees. Your grace still amazes me. Your grace still
0: amazes me. I want to give you an opportunity. You get to be an agent of God's grace to people. Do you know how much they need that? you have any idea the guilt burden that people have out there that you work with? And you can tell them Jesus wants to gift you. He wants to grace you. He wants to forgive you. Go get them. Go get them. You say, well, I want to get them. They don't want to come. Well, then love them. Love them until they ask you why. Love them the way you love. And then invite them. On the way out today, I want you to get a card. Please do it. Keep that little card with you and just say to the Lord, Lord, who do you want me to invite? So you get a chance to obey this as soon as you leave here, but God has done something so beautiful the last couple of weeks. that He's going to give you an opportunity right now to obey this. Steve come and Steve Grave uh, has a word he'd like to share right now. As he's asked permission to talk with you And so we welcome him now to come and just.
1: I don't know
2: a lot of you, but I knew quite a few of you. Um, I haven't rehearsed this because if you'd asked me two weeks ago if I'd be standing right here, I would have said no way. Um, I used to be a leader in this church. And uh, I followed my own sins. I followed my own way. There was a long time off and on through my entire life that I lived hypocritically. I was a liar and a deceiver. I left this church. I left my wife to follow after immorality. And for the past five years, that's what I have followed. This church did the right thing, and they placed me under church discipline. And into the hands of Satan to do his bidding. And that's what I did. For five years, I've been following that. And this really means a lot to me because it's not about me. I'm just a sinner. A bad sinner. Is there any other kind? And it's God's love and His grace. It's His holiness. I was talking with Pastor this morning. I'm a father. And over the past five years, I've had trouble disciplining my son because of my sin. How do you do that? We have a Heavenly Father who is holy and has that power to discipline us as His children. I have been under God's discipline since this church placed me there. And I'm here, number one, as hard as as that is because God has spanked me hard. (laughs) And many times. I think of that, I just was thinking of this this morning, that origami, all the little boxes, you open up one box, there's another box underneath and another one underneath. That's like my life under discipline of God. When I first stepped out of God's discipline, or stepped out of God's will, he gave me warning signs and I was living in this box. And as I stepped out of that box and into another one, it wasn't a bigger box, it was a smaller box that God put on me. And a smaller one and a smaller one. And he squeezed me to literally I had nowhere else to go. And I have lived in a manner so unpleasing to God in the last five years. I'm not going to go into the details, but I am a wretched sinner. And I thank you as a church for placing me under discipline because that's what God uses to bring his people back. And I know that you've prayed for me. I have in my pocket my cell phone... And just in the past, I don't know, five months, I could read to you 20 or so text messages from Alex Good just saying, I love you, I miss you, I'm praying for you, you can come back if you ever want to. And I thought that. He, he's never stopped from the day I left to the day I'm standing here now. He never stopped doing that. And he also told me that you were all praying for me. And I felt that and I knew it. I remember it wasn't too long ago, George Wins, I hadn't talked to him in years. He didn't even eat eat dinner. I ran into a situation and I called him and asked him for some help. He drove all the way from up here in Michigan down to Toledo and helped me out and wouldn't even let me feed him dinner and just said, I just want you to know I love you and I'm praying for you. God's done a mighty work in my life in the past few weeks. Well, he's been doing it. He's been working. I can't go through the details because we'd be here all day. But let's say that God has brought me along, but in the last two weeks has put me in a position where I had nowhere else to go, but to seek his face, seek his forgiveness. All this week I have been going finding people and confessing things that getting them off my back, because the the power of sin is in the secrecy of the sin. And that was the power that that Satan had on me when I was here, is the secrecy of some of the sins that I had on and off been doing. And I'm here today to tell you that I have repented of everything, everything. And all week long, I didn't know what the next moment brought. In fact, I was telling Pastor Pierpont that I was on my way someplace down in Toledo and I was, I saw the sign that said one mile to my ex-wife's house. And I said, no Lord, don't make me do this now. The steering wheel turned off and I have had a beautiful time of asking for her forgiveness. Now, the last step that I need to do for my past before I can move forward and begin is to come to you and publicly ask for your forgiveness for my deceit, my lies, my immorality, my hypocrisy, and for what I did to the name of Jesus Christ and what I did to the name of this church. And for many of you out there that I hurt, and those that aren't here, that my testimony has hurt. I can't repair the damage I've done. But God can take the evil in me and the evil that I have done, and he can turn things into good. Only God can do that. And I'm here to publicly ask for your forgiveness.
0: Stand together, please. Would you stand? Stand up. Some of you may want to come and express your willingness to forgive, Steve. Let's sing this song again. Some of you have an opportunity to do that.
1: Your grace still amazes.
0: a wonderful killing of the fatted calf going on here at evangel today you don't want to miss out on that steve's going to need our prayer and he's going to need our encouragement and uh, his family and uh, we are going to do that and you have done that i'm going to close our service in prayer and ask peggy just to continue to play that beautiful song your grace still amazes me while you have an opportunity to come and give an encouragement to steve That God would just restore him, restore his family. Heavenly Father, we just, oh, how we thank you, God, that you forgive us when we sin. We don't know where we would be. We would be such a mess. We would be so lost and desperate without you. Thank you that you draw your children to yourself even when we stray. I pray, Lord, that you would break other hearts here today over their deceptive Uh, lives break other hearts over their immorality break other hearts over their sin whatever that is our sin lord help us not just to watch steve repent but to join him and repent with him lord i pray that you would send a quickening to our church pray that you would break our hearts over the sin of pettiness which has swept over our our church and help us lord instead to to realize it's just simply about the offer of grace to broken sinners. So I pray, Lord, today for our church that you would give us a broken heart. In Jesus' name, amen.